Start and end your day with the good news. The good news with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com. Now, here's Angie Austin and friends with the good news. Hello, it is Angie Austin and friends. We're all here, the good news gals. Cindy Marsh is here, Michelle Ron, Beatrice Bruno, and Michelle Betts, authors, speakers, business people. And uh, I told you yesterday that I wanted to discuss uh, a situation. I've had several situations, as you know, Michelle Betts, at um, games lately. And my kids are young, so I can't even imagine what things are going to get like in high school. Uh, So I want to talk about that. And then also some... This is not good news, but the good news is we're opening the discussion on suicide. My uh, a friend is from Newport Beach, from Southern California, and she posted something from the Newport Beach. Uh, it was the Corona Del Mar, the, the school district that uh, they're in there in Newport. And the, uh, one of the, uh, the superintendent or someone within the school had put out a statement about the pressure that kids are under. That, you know, there used to be a day where you could be a plumber or an engineer, electrician. You could be, go to school, you know, to be into some kind of trade. But now there's pressure on all these kids for the, you know, SAT and you know, get, getting into college and the best college and uh, it, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. I wonder what happened. Well, then the suicide notes came out from the 16-year-old boy who attended that school. And when I read the notes, it was the most eye-opening thing. Now, the notes have come down. I'm going to search in a minute and see if they've come back up. But I can encapsulate what I read in the notes from the 16-year-old boy who took (coughs) his life. I believe his name is Patrick Turner. So I'm going to get into all of that in a minute. But first, let's start with... Uh, what happened um, about at the basketball game. So I run into it. It wasn't my game, and I've had some weird little incidents happen and seen parents behave badly recently. Uh, and in this case, I saw one of the refs at Walmart, and I said, hey, you're one of our favorite refs. How you doing? Uh, thanks so much for all you do for the kids. You would not believe what just happened. I'm like, what? Ten minutes, this man stops me in the store and says, I've been doing this for over 30 years, and I might quit. He said, um, I was just at a third-grade game, and it's for the same league that my kids are in. And my daughter's in third grade as well. And my husband had actually, one of the coaches had gone after my husband, who does a lot of uh, 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 score table work, and he volunteers as a parent a lot. And one of the coaches had, like, told him to get off the court the week before. And I thought there was going to be, like, a fist fight because my husband leaned over and whispered in the guy's ear. And I'm like, he's not whispering nice to meet you. Like, <laughs> Sunday, so I'm trying to, come on, let's go, come on. Well, the guy, that guy, that coach came out and apologized to my husband in the hallway Within two or three minutes of this little Good. little skirmish, this little jarring, they were they were like jawing at each other. That's where I'm looking for jawing. So then this next week, um, the ref says to me, third grade game, and I'm like, third grade again. Uh, and he says uh, that the coach wouldn't stop using foul language. He didn't like his calls. He kept making really loud comments about the ref's calls, and then he started screaming the f word in the coach's pardon me the ref's face. The ref that I know, and I mean, he's at multiple games for my kids each week because they've got school and they've got rec league, so they're playing like maybe six games a week. And he's at probably half of them. I see him at like half of them. So he said he called a technical. The guy started screaming more of those words into his face. And he called technical again, and they called the game. And it was a close game. I can't remember if he said it was tied or close. And it was less than a minute left. And then the parents started, like, crowding in around him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess he threw his arms up, and he said that one woman might have been close. He said he didn't feel him touching anyone. But when he threw his arms out, like, the game, call, the game's over. 
-hmm. and uh, he might have touched someone, but no parent should have been that close to him. Mm -mm. And then a kid, a teenager's like, you touched my mom and blah, blah, blah. And they're screaming. And he held up his cell phone. He said, I'm calling the police. So he called the police. And I really like this rec center that this uh, situation was, uh, uh, you know, associated with. And they've really changed, I think, the climate with the parents. I haven't heard nearly as much bad language in the crowd, which you should never hear bad language at any game, but yet alone eight-year-olds and seven-year-olds playing. Uh, so he said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I might quit. And I'll find out this afternoon because he's actually, I think, going to be officiating my, um, my, my son's game. He'll be a ref there. And I hope to see him. So then I post this on Facebook, and I get comments like you would not believe of people, including Michelle's ex who played professional <laughs> basketball. She says, I'm, you know, I'm shaking my head. Um, I, I, it's so, so sad to hear this, but I'm not surprised. I see it all the time. And then another, a guy who used to ref uh, wrestling, loved wrestling, wrestled his whole life, really felt it did a lot for him as a person. And a dad took a swing at him at a match uh, when his son, uh, he didn't like a call on his son, and he was t- the father was taken away in handcuffs. I mean, what is wrong with us as a society, and what are we teaching our children? And then for the lady that wrote at the bottom that she blames it on, basically, politicians. I'm sorry, lady. (laughs) This all started before November of last year. Whether you like our current president or not, that's not what the discussion is about. And I said to her, I'm sorry. I'm in radio. I get so sorry of finger pointers. What happens at my house has nothing to do with the White House. How I raise my children, how I talk in front of a referee, how I – she goes, well, it's deemed, like, acceptable if people – power do it. I'm like, no, this is not deemed acceptable on any level by anyone. Any parent they're watching, 99.9% of them would say it was inappropriate for the coach to do this. Get this. It gets better. Not only do I get a call from a news station wanting to talk to the ref, I get a call from one of my former colleagues who's currently on the air, and she said, was this ref at my kid's game? Because this happened at my kid's game. We figure out, no, she's in another even more affluent neighborhood across town, and it happens in her like multi-million dollar neighborhood neighborhood that this same thing happened now the cops weren't called in that case but the coach was ejected and in our case the cops had to come now it wasn't my kids game this is just the ref in my kids rec league and I also have a third grader so all right Michelle you're at these games all the time and Beatrice you played basketball mm-hmm. I think at, in in under fifth grade if any coach is getting ejected they should never come back they period. should not be coaching period it's there is no reason for a coach to get that heated that they need to get kicked out of a middle I know, because I don't think any of these game. kids are being uh, recruited by the NBA right. right now. Some of these kids are traveling, carrying, all that. <laughs> like, I know. And what did she say to me last week? Because I don't understand the rules. Like Michelle goes, she goes, now that was one, one carry. That was a heck of a carry. Like yes, running a ball carry. I remember that. A lot like of money. A lot of money. But yeah, you just have that. to wonder. I think I, one thing I noticed when I moved back to the States from Europe, because I'd been there for like 14 years. So we moved back six, six, six years ago, and I was like, I have never seen such tiny sports equipment, like gloves <laughs> for kids with yeah. hands like the size of a baby. Mm. I'm like, what is going on here? Right, that four-year-olds who can't catch a ball are playing t-ball. Yeah, yeah, so I saw that, and then I noticed that, you know, you know, everybody had everybody has this huge long sports schedule for the kids all weekend and there's a whole lot of importance put on sports and I'm an ex you know athlete so yeah, you I love in college. sports and my kids are into it too but I just look at 
I think we're putting way too much emphasis on it. It's just well, way too important. Well, what's interesting is, Michelle, actually, your kids do have the potential to pre- play professional. You <laughs> played uh, in college. Your husband played professional basketball. You played volleyball. Your kids are tremendous athletes. And you're saying we're putting too much importance on it. And of all my friends, like your kids are the ones, I jokingly call them walking scholarships, <laughs> which to me, I go, I, she, is a, she is a beautiful scholarship with hair. Look at that scholarship with lipstick on. Look at that scholarship with lipstick. Uh, I mean, they are <laughs> tremendous athletes. So she's saying that, you know, parents would that, you know, like here I, I'm five feet tall. If I didn't have my six foot six husband, my kids would not be playing <laughs> basketball. Right. Let's be honest. Right. So I'm not looking maybe at not, like maybe. I'm not. Yeah. So I think we have to have some r- realistic expectations of our children, but also what we're pursuing. Yeah. And my kid, my kid gets a scholarship to me. That is the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Believe me, I'd be thrilled. Mm-hmm. But with that said, really what I'm trying to accomplish is to give, make them a kid of integrity. Riley always thanks his refs when he's done. He walks up and high fives or gives a fist bump to the rep. Thank you for, you know, refing our game. Um, they have to learn how to be a good teammate, to learn how to, to lose with dignity and with class. Faith's lost every game this year and she tries so hard and she has a horrible team and those kids never give up and I am so impressed by what she's learning from losing with grace losing with dignity losing with a smile like okay well we're going to get better and each they, they, they lost by 50 at the beginning they only mm-hmm. they tied their last game you know so I mean like they've gone they've worked their way up from losing you know 52 to nothing to actually tying some of their games so I, I guess what I'm seeing is my kid what I want is the, the physical activity, the friendships, respecting others, mm-hmm. learning to get along in a group, being a good sport, uh, playing with integrity, you know, not elbowing someone, not hurting someone, not getting fouled out because you're playing too rough or whatever. These are the things they're supposed to be learning, not that I think they're going to go to the NBA or, you know, whatever sport they're in. Right. It's more about learning life skills overall. Um, that's what that's Sports what it always has been. Exactly. Supposed but, to be. And to have fun, Michelle. Right. You were right. a teacher. You're, You're supposed have to have fun. fun. This is have it. Fun. You are having fun. <laughs> but don't you notice losing. that in, in even professional basketball? I mean, we we went to Nuggets the whole oh, game. Yeah. And the refs don't call anything. And so, I mean, there there's a lot of good stuff going on you right. know, that drives me crazy. They're not machines. And that's the thing. These parents, yeah. these kids have to realize life's not fair. Right. You, you slid on the court. They called you for traveling. That's part of life. Yeah. So learning how to take that with some grace, which is because you're going to have so many thing. disappointments that you have to take with grace. Yeah. You know, when I had bad work situ- situations, my motto was work hard, smile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I've always said the philosophy of this gen of, of a huge part of the generation growing up right now is um, I've done well. Now, what's in it for me? Rather than the philosophy of hard work done well feels good. And right. that's what you as a parent, as we as a grandparent, are trying to instill. But, I but think, it's hard. I think this goes along with what I was, uh, had said the other day about uh, parents, you know, trying too hard to be chummy with their kids. It also is like, if my kid works hard, they should be rewarded. And their reward should be winning. I'm like, look, half the people lose. Okay, exactly. Somebody that's has to lose. That's how it goes. Right. So your kid can work their tail off. And still be the loser right. that day. Right. But you have to learn, you know, That's to deal with all facets of the game. It's not about getting every call and getting all the shots. And there's so and many calls every- that are called. I mean, we I would say half the calls are made. You know what I mean? Right. Like- there's tons of terrible do- calls. I mean, the, 
I mean, they're so little that they're doing four things wrong right. and they're calling one. They're right. waiting. And then the fourth time, they're like, okay, fine. The game would be stopped. Yeah. You know, for every call they yeah. make. They, there's not enough time in the world to call all the I guys. know. You know what, though? You see that all the way up to the professional level uh, during the Super Bowl that just passed. Um, Tom Brady, after he lost, stormed off the field. He had an opportunity to go over and thank he that could have, or to and, congratulate that young quarterback. And, and I don't that know, really would have been a thing of dignity. Right, it would have been great and a real classy move. Last no. year, what had happened is Matt Ryan, the, the guy from the Falcons, who was winning by like 25 points, and then Tom Brady came back and they won the game. It was like this really miraculous comeback. Matt Ryan went over and said, "Hey, good game, Tom Brady. You did a really good job. You're the you're the champ now." And he was like, "Okay, that's great." And then this year, Tom Brady just like oh, pouts and runs off because he didn't get his sixth championship. <laughs> you know, yeah, you see it all the colors. way up, all the way up to the top. He so he did show his colors. <laughs> And I, I'm really impressed, too, by the number of Christians, just as a sidebar. Oh, the, the all the Eagles are Christians. And this morning, on this morning, it shows the Eagles gathering before the game at the, the pool. pool. Mm-hmm. Yes. Baptizing and a teammate. What's the teammates. guy's name? That, yeah, uh, I can't Eagle. remember his Carson name. Carson Wentz. Wow. No. Well, or no, Nick Foles. Well, Nick Matthews, is that, yeah, he's a Christian, but they, anyway, yeah, they were uh, baptizing And you know teammate. that the quarterback is preparing. He's in seminary. Yeah, both of them. Oh, I didn't both know of the quarterbacks. And football is not his main thing. He's working. He wants to be a pastor after football the coach of the eagles is christian too. oh yeah he Very called out so. he shouted out uh, i want to thank my all the glory goes to god i want to yep. thank my lord it's and savior phenomenal. jesus christ the thing about um uh the quarterback the too Foles. Okay. i i was impressed by so many of us want to give up in life and he said at 26 it was two years ago right uh i think he's 28 now two years ago um i read that he wanted to give up on football and he was like god what's your plan for me backup quarterback he's not the main guy uh, maybe i should be pr- pr- pursuing something else and uh, look at this. You know, two years later, he wins a Super Bowl. I'm not saying God sits around waiting, uh, you know, to uh, to help us win games. But I think He's there to give us comfort. And uh, the whole Philippians 4:13, all things are possible through Christ who strengthens me, which my kids, you know, use a lot just to get out of their own heads. And mm-hmm. that look, do your best. You know, if God is with you, who can be against you? Let's just go for this and do our best. Whether it's a math test uh, that they're nervous about or a swim meet they're nervous about, uh, and it, it doesn't have to always be about you and this Marcus Johnson is the wide receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles that was was baptized in a North Carolina swimming pool Thursday with the support of several teammates and they tweeted out a photo of the event so I thought that was really oh wait that's an old one so they did that that was October of 2017 but they did it again I guess over um, you know right before before the Super Bowl yeah and they also they also picture that I saw was the whole team uh, bowing in prayer afterwards with grateful i mean i'm so thankful to see that i am so thankful to so, see that so how do we i like that too there's a um uh stephen curry steph curry my daughter uh-huh. loves him and i noticed on her shoes her steph curry shoes it says all things well then i read i googled him is steph curry a christian and it said steph curry takes the bible on how does Steph oh. Curry take the Bible onto the court with him, and the shoes are the I can do all things through really? Christ who strengthens me. Good he has know. a part of the verse on the shoes, and, and then I looked at my daughter's shirt. She it says I can do all things, uh-huh. and I thought what a beautiful role model for my children who love that verse exactly. and that he wow. I, I love these clean cut 
sports uh, role models who aren't cursing at referees and who aren't, you know, uh, doing what these parents are doing. At, again, if you're just joining us in the good news, we're talking about, uh, so the you know, TV station calls me. I say, look, I don't know the ref's name that may want to quit after 30-some-odd years because the coach started using a foul language in his face, called the technical, uh, called the game, said the game is over. And uh, so w with these parents behaving like this, I don't know who on earth is that stressed out about life and put so much importance in their kids' success in third grade or winning a third grade game that they actually would put themselves in danger of being arrested at a seven- and eight-year-old game because of their anger? I think one of the bigger issues in our society is we need to get a grip on our anger, but it's not okay to be in traffic and, you know, you know, go off on somebody. Or, like, people are losing it over the smallest things, and the things they're losing it over have nothing to do with the incident at hand. So that coach cursing at the ref, I don't think it had anything really to do with the game. People are not in a good place with their anger, their lives, their stress, and they're snapping. So for those of you that have kids who are under that coach, then my lesson would oh be boy. to my child afterwards, you know what, Thad, hey, I just love that you're playing a game that you love to love, love to play, but you do need to know, honey, that we're going to learn this is from your coach that this is not acceptable behavior. Mm -hmm. And you, you got to point that out. I mean, you've, you've got to stress that. Yes. You know, it's and it's, teenagers will come back and say, boy, I'm in Sarah's house, they get to do this. And that's just fabulous, honey, in a calm voice. Mm -hmm. In our house, I love you too much to let you misbehave. That's I right. love you too much to let that happen. I like that. I love you too much. Oh, mm -hmm. oh, always, always take the love. See why take I love her. Love. Why I, I love well, her. Yeah. But, you, but you have to stretch that because the kid is going to hear, mm -hmm. you, you're no. saying this because you don't love me. Right. So you always say, I love you so much that I need to say no. And um, this is not what we do. It's not acceptable in our house. And God is our God's in charge of us, and we're going to try to live by his kingdom. I don't want to run out of time again. I want to just mention to you guys, um, well, f f two things. When my husband and that coach, when that coach said something really rude to my husband, I heard it was a nasty tone. He was rude to my husband. My husband had one foot in the court, and he said, get off the court. And my husband's like, excuse me? I said, get off the court. Yeah. And he said, I'm getting off the court. And then he leaned in and whispered to the guy. And I think he said something like, you know, I don't think your tone is really a good tone to be using. <laughs> Not and acceptable. this, again, another, another <laughs> third grade coach. It was a little kid's coach. And then the guy came out and apologized to my husband. My husband said, right away in the car. Kids, daddy didn't handle good. that well. Daddy should have walked away. Right. Daddy shouldn't Absolutely have whispered good. in his ear. Good. You know, uh, and my dad teaches the kids, but my dad's always been heavily involved in martial arts. You learn how to protect yourself, but your first line of defense is to walk away. Mm -hmm. um, and now in the case of this 16-year-old that I wanted to share the story with about um, out of uh, Corona Del Mar, this high school, what it all came down to was he wrote three suicide notes. Uh, one was to his family, and it was so touching, and it basically said... You, Amazing things about how you've helped me, what you've done for me, what I think of you, how much I love you. Thank you for your support. You're an amazing family. Then he wrote, it, wrote, wrote he le a letter to uh, the administration, the school, uh, teachers, etc. Uh, so there were three. And then the last one, he talked about 
the pressure that school systems are putting on kids to succeed. This is one of the wealthiest communities is, in the United right. States of America, Newport Beach and Corona Del Mar. And that the pressure on these kids to succeed, to get good grades, to get uh, into, accepted into you know really good colleges. Mm -hmm. And he specifically mentioned one teacher that was rude to the kids and threatening and kind of held that, you know, uh, maybe carrot of success over them and whether, you know, they were going to pass a test or not and uh, really blamed his teacher, which he did not name. But I'm sure a lot of his, you know, friends know. They ended up taking these down because the family needs time to heal. Uh, there are four kids in the family, and this 16-year-old thanked all of his coaches for all they mm. made baseball fun. And I think his name is Patrick Turner. Mm. Wow. Uh, again, because we're almost at a time. I just wanted to bring up that I think his parents, let's just reassess and maybe have a chat with our kids. My son was stressed out about an exam, and I said, honey, if you get a C, uh, if you try your hardest, I'll be okay. And I said, hey, daddy got a lot of Cs, and look how well he's doing in life. Uh, because I think he feels he has to make honor roll every time. And he did actually ace the math exam, but it made it very clear to him that if he doesn't and he's tried his best, we're okay with that. But he also said that it was not because of his parents, his family, that yes. he was committing suicide. Yes. Yeah, it Can was you imagine? because of the and that he didn't talk to them. Yeah. I mean, he could have been homeschooled. There were so many other options. These kids think that the only way out is to end their lives, and there were so many options for him. Right. All right, Cindy, you're into beauty, your website? DenverBeautyCenter.com. Michelle Ron, you speak. Michelle at MichelleARon.com. Beatrice, you speak a lot. DrillSergeantOfLife.com. And Michelle, you sell real estate. PorchlightGroup.com. Love it. And if you ever need to reach the ladies, AngieAustinRadio.com. If you have questions about any of my guests, we'll be right back. The good news of Jesus for you in high-definition radio and streaming at 670KLTT.com. This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver. All right, Angie Austin here along with Adam. Adam is an ambassador with ARC, and when you shop at ARC, it helps the ambassador. They help people in our community. Every dollar you spend helps, and everything you donate helps. ARC is a tremendous benefit to people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Now, there's a Saturday sale. Most items half off. If I'm a senior, 55 and over, on Tuesdays, most items are half off. How do we find out about that? ARCthrift.org. How about if I want to donate? Where do I donate? 303-238-JANE. You call them and they'll pick up whatever you need. Furniture, small, big. Medium. Uh, yep, absolutely. Uh, a small, big, medium. Yes, they'll bring the truck right on over. What's yes, the number? 303-238-JANE. Yeah, they bring a truck right to your house. 303-238-JANE. Yes, 303-238-JANE. ARCthrift.org. Does cool. ARC make you feel special? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I thought so. You are special. ARCthrift.org. As are you, babe. As are you. Thank you. Do you love working for ARC? I YMCA of the Rockies is the place to take your family this spring. It's like a destination vacation in your own backyard. This year at SS Park Center, we have a family mountaineering and backcountry weekend scheduled for March 1st through the 4th. We'll be hosting family snowshoe hikes, backcountry ski meetups, outdoor winter survival trainings, winter ecology hikes, and much more. We'll have guest speakers, excursions for every level of experience, and demos by popular mountaineering equipment brands such as Loa and Montbell. Visit ymcarockies.org for more information. That's ymcarockies.org. Welcome back. Well, raising teenagers can be a little stressful, but it doesn't have to be a horrible experience. Who would know better than Ron Welch? He is back. He is an author. He is a professor. He is a therapist, and he's here to help us with raising high school kids. Hi, Ron. 
Good morning. All right, let's get rolling. The primary challenge with high school kids is what? You know, I think the number one thing parents have to do with their kids is remain in the conversation. And what I mean by that is there's so many other sources of information that adolescents get knowledge from. The parents have to be careful that they don't become the one that the adolescents avoid because they're going to get in trouble or they're not going to have a good response. And so they they get information from everybody else because everybody else is just listening and trying to tell them what they think or whatever. And if the parents aren't careful, they're the ones that are negative or they're the ones that are going to come down on them. And at some point, you have to transition from being completely a parental authority into being someone that the child will actually listen to and pay attention to. Okay, so it's that fine line. You're not friends, and if you're authoritarian, they won't talk to you. So having the conversation, um, is that fine line in between? It is, because a lot of parents today just want to get along with the kids. They're not really wanting to, you know, be the authoritarian parents. And then there's a whole other set of parents that are all about trying to get the child to do what they want them to do. Uh And in some cases... Somewhere in the middle, like you're talking about, that thin line where you, there is a sense of authority, you have standards that you believe in, you have a, uh, a way that you expect a child to behave if they're going to live in your home, but at the other end of the scale, if you're not careful, you end up being only an authority voice and sort of like the cops in a sense. Mm-hmm. You know, the only reason they're going to do what you suggest is because they don't want to get in trouble. Right. And so, that doesn't work either. So I like what you say, Ron, then after um, being part of the conversation, you say you can't let their peers become the primary voice that they listen to. Very important. How do we go about doing that? Well, there's a point that used to be somewhere in later high school where there's a transition from kids listening to their, their parents into listening to their peers. I think that's taking place in early middle school now. That transition is occurring so much earlier because I see 11 and 12-year-olds whose primary authority in terms of what to do are their peers. And I think parents have to understand that they're going to have to adjust to the fact that that's happening much earlier. But all those decisions from, from sex to talking about drugs, all those things are happening earlier and earlier So if you wait until the kid's 16 to have conversations about who's who are you listening to, where are you getting your opinions from, Mm -hmm. you're probably a couple years too late. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's good to know. Not not high school now, uh, uh, early, possibly early middle school where they start uh, turning to their peers to become the primary voice that they listen to. So um, in terms of uh, the challenge, I think we've kind of covered C, correct? So um, the what's the challenge? The, the biggest challenge is to help them learn how to make decisions rather than to get them to do what you want them to do. So a lot of parents will look at each individual conflict as a challenge where I want them to come in by midnight. So I'm going to set a rule and I want to make certain that my consequence is so significant that they'll do what I want. And so they come in by midnight, but they only do it because they don't want to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. Let me give you an example. So uh, I've got an 18-year-old now, and and I could say to him, I would, I want you to be home by this time because that's what I think you need to do. And he'll say, but I get out of work at 11:30 when I'm working a shift at Chick-fil-A, and I I come after that, and all the guys are going out for an hour to hang out because that's when they hang out because they've been working for eight hours. And I may look at that and say, well, it's a school night. I want you home, but right after work, so you can. And he'll look at that and say. 
in my life, I come home, I socialize for an hour, I still got my homework done, I go to sleep, I get up, I get to school, I get everything done, why isn't that good enough, right? And if I set up a scenario where I say, if you stay out later and something happens, you're gonna have some bad consequences, so I want you home by midnight, you say you wanna break the rule and stay out by two, you better enjoy staying out till two because you're gonna lose the car for two weeks. Does that make sense? But, yeah, but he gets to choose what happens. It's not up to me to force him to do one thing or the other. That makes sense. He has sense. to learn to make good decisions. Yes, and I like that. I like that idea. We we do a lot of talking at the dinner table, and I think I'm going to introduce, um, you know, what, what would be the best decision in that, you know, in that situation. I make the kids work out problems and problem solve. My husband actually made the kids each clean. Look, they had to clean their three rooms, right? He made all three kids clean each room together, and oh my gosh, I'm like, just separate them. He said, no, I want them to learn how to work together. They mm-hmm. have to learn how to problem solve and work. You know, you have to get along with people in the workplace. So I heard one of them say to the other, you, you're not a very good worker. You'd probably get fired. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> All right. So getting past adolescence, uh, do what you want them to do. What is this about? The, the idea is, is if you're not careful, what's going to happen is your primary goal is to have them decide, for instance, not to have sex. So you as parents think, I don't want my kid to have sex. So all of your discussions are about don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And all they hear from you is, okay, I get it. Your opinion is don't have sex. But what if they go back and forth with their thought processes? They get a girlfriend or a boyfriend. They still don't want to have sex, but they're more tempted to. They're thinking about it. And now they know there's no use talking to you because all you're going to say is don't have sex. Uh What if the conversation were, I really don't want you to have sex, but I understand it's difficult not to. And I want to help you come up with some ways where you can decide what you want to do. Okay. And some parents don't like that because they look at it and they say, I'll do anything in the world. I just don't want to end up having a baby in the house. And so what ends up happening is rather than talking about all of the feelings that people, the kids are having, what, what they're going through, the pressures in the relationship. Maybe maybe they you, you have a daughter and the daughter really doesn't want to have sex, but the guy's putting a lot of pressure on her and she doesn't know how to deal with that. It would be great if you could talk with the child and they were part of the conversation rather than feeling, well, there's no use talking to my parents about sex. So they're just going to say, don't do it. And they don't understand what my life is like at all. And teach them to be good decision makers. Ron Welch, he is an author, he's a professor, he's a therapist, and he is here to help us with part two of raising high school kids. It's challenging. Uh, so let's talk about some of those challenges. We went over decision making and how to be part of the conversation of high school kids. Where are we now, Ron? Well, I think there's about five big issues that I keep seeing high school kids run into. As you can imagine, sex is at the top of the list. They seem to have it's not just about whether to have sex or not. It's about whether or not you're going to be in the in crowd. It's about when you talk to your peers, you have to say you've had sex, even if you hadn't. There's a lot of adolescents I work with that they're positive. Well, everybody else is doing it. Well, newsflash, half the kids are lying about it, right? I mean, not all of them are doing it like they say they are, but they all talk about it and they all say they are. And then they end up having this situation where they assume everybody must do it, so I must. And then they start thinking about peer pressure and I'm not going to be cool if I... And so all of that conversation about sex is is still a matter of making a decision. And some of them really don't think about future consequences. It's interesting. Some of the adolescents, I have therapists I work with that work with a lot more adolescents than I do. And a lot of them talk about how many kids still have no idea um, 
uh, really about the truth about birth control, about the effectiveness of birth control. There are so many myths and fantasies out there, Angie. It's amazing. I mean, we think everybody knows everything about sex these days. And unfortunately, these kids still have a lot of misinformation and they don't feel like they can ask their parents questions and get straight answers. So I think there's something about making decisions and giving your kids accurate, honest information that is really important. So in these high school challenges in parenting, we've got sex, drugs, social media, homework, and identity issues. And uh, number one under sex, uh, being able to talk about it with your kids and then being able to, um, well, to help them make decisions. Exactly. Exactly. And it really works similar similar to drugs. One of the issues with drugs now, and the reason these, these two issues are kind of closely intertwined is, is it still a matter of looking at consequences? What's going to happen if I do it? What's, you know, what are the consequences from this? And we've got some interesting conversations happening now about drugs because of many states legalizing marijuana. Mm-hmm. And I have adolescents talking to me all the time about the fact and say, well, nobody can tell me pot's bad because everybody says it's legal. It must be fine because the government says it's fine. And they have really confusing thoughts about that when it comes to ecstasy and some of the parties they go to where people are passing around X and saying, this is how you, this is what makes dancing fun and all this kind of stuff. And, and they don't really understand because everyone's telling them these drugs really don't have that bad an effect. Mm-hmm. They get that heroin or cocaine may have a bad effect, but they look at pot or ecstasy and they're like, you know, everybody says it's fine. Why not? So it's causing some difficulty. And, and, and the media doesn't really help because if you look at some of the media stories about marijuana and so forth, they're basically saying, hey, it's fine. There's no reason not to legalize it. So the message the adolescents get is there's really no reason not to do drugs. Right. And a kid's brain, obviously, still developing. So it's not Absolutely. good for a kid's brain. Absolutely. Social media, um, dating and breaking up on Facebook and text. I'm already seeing fifth graders in my kid's school with smartphones starting to have relationships via text. And uh, I don't know about Facebook, but um, I know kids under 13 are on it. So let's talk social media and cyberbullying as well. Yeah. You know what happens is they're, they're having relationships they're dating, they're um, communicating by Skype all evening when they're home, and they're back and forth on their social media sites, and they break up, and they change their status on their website and or on their, their social media site, and the relationship never involved a face-to-face meeting even once. Whoa, that's crazy. And you look at that, and you think, it is, it's crazy, and yet, and yet that's what dating often looks like now. And so what happens is the same thing occurs with cyberbullying because people are trying to present themselves in whatever they want to present themselves. So some girl sees a guy dating a girl online. She wants to date that guy. So the best way to do that is to put a bunch of nasty social media stuff on social media about the girl that he's dating. That creates the cyberbullying scenario. The kid breaks up with the girl because of this. Next thing you know, they're dating online and all of that happened without any of them ever meeting each other or certainly talking to each other in the hallways in school. And it's really dangerous because all of these interactions are happening in a fantasy world where there's no reality, there's no personal human interaction. And then they actually get into a relationship at some point and they have no idea how to do it at all. A fantasy world. It's not even real. All right. Um, uh, we've got to wrap up the last two topics, homework and grades, expectations and consequences. Again, we're talking about raising teenagers. So I think what happens with homework is you have to ask yourself, when you get to high schoolers, at some point their grades are their own. I still have, uh, as I've been a college professor and teaching at seminary now, I still have parents that call in college trying to change their grades for their kids. That's got to stop. Kids have to take responsibility for their grades and their homework instead of having parents 
actually call and complain. My wife's a teacher and, you know, I hear stories from her friends and so forth about parents calling in and trying to get grades changed. And at some point in high school, kids have to be responsible for their own work. Absolutely. And last but not least, identity issues. Self-esteem, identity, who am I? All these questions are what high school kids are asking. What's important to me? What are what are the core issues that make me who I am? I think you have to work with your high school kid to help them figure out what their core values are, how they're making decisions, and what they base those decisions on. Wonderful. All right. Author, speaker, professor, therapist. How do we find you, Ron Welch? My website is transformational-marriage.com. Excellent. Thank you, Ron. Thank you. Changing gears now. How would you like to have a GPS for your life? Wouldn't that be handy? Or get texts maybe on what you should do next with your life. Well, Gina Close is here to help us to have a GPS for our life. As a peak performance success coach, an author, and an international speaker, she's finally returned home and she is here to inspire us to live the life of our dreams. Welcome back, Gina. Hi, Angie. So great to have you. Let's talk about this GPS for our life. What do we do to get where we want to be? It's like you need a roadmap, you know? Well, you know, whether we know it or not, not, our mind is already programmed with a set of maps that direct our every moment, our every decision, our every thought, every day of our whole life. Really? Yeah. Well, let me explain here for a moment. Re- you know, remember that ancient piece of history, the paper map, where we wanted to go somewhere and we had to unfold the map, find our destination, and we just follow the route. Have you used a paper map, Angie? My cousin just used one when we were in Florida. And I'm like, what are you doing? Because I've got my nav. And it's good to have it as a backup, but she was using it as her legit map. Right. Well, you know, most people now, and I, I have to say, I'm not really great at reading paper maps. I'd turn them upside down. I'd drive my husband crazy. And now we have our mobile phones. So we plug in our destination and we hit begin route and it just guides our every direction. And we believe those maps. We believe the paper maps. We believe our mobile phone maps. And yet what most of us don't know is that our brains have a pre-programmed set of maps also. All right. Well, how does that work? And what if it's a map we don't want? Exactly. Well, you know, right now, you know, just like any journey in our mind, there are roadblocks that block our happiness, our success. And sometimes our minds travel those same old roads instead of trying new and better routes, right? You know, people that always uh, react in like a negative manner and you're like, wait, I don't think that's what, why that person said that, you know, but their roadmap in their brain says, oh, it must be negative about me. That's right. Every time over and over, because that's their map Mm -hmm. or or the people that will go by and it's like seeing new construction and that they just envy the lives of others. They're walking by a new building and that's other people's lives instead of focusing on their own life and where you have an opportunity to build a bridge to do something new, but no, people turn around without trying. And so we have these internal maps that direct us. For example, they tell us whether things are good or bad, right or wrong, happy or sad, dangerous or safe. And what we don't realize, just like the paper map and just like the GPS, in our phone, we unconsciously believe what's already programmed and we rarely question them. Yeah, we do. And we should. And I think that so many people, Gina, think it's hocus pocus when we talk about the positive, uh, you know, mental imagery and speaking positively to ourselves. I mean, my father and my stepmother, they are two of the most positive people I've ever met. Dad's in his 80s. Uh, My stepmom just turned 70. And uh, they really do think this way. And it has really influenced their lives. I 100% believe that you can influence positively 
probably that GPS in your life where you end up through um, a lot of it um, retraining uh, your mind and taking new routes rather than the old negative route you may have been taught as a child. Well, that's true. So for example, your family, they say, if, if you have the map in your mind that says, my life is so blessed, my life is blessed, that's the map you're taking. And what happens is there's a part of your brain called the reticular activating system that actually filters out things that doesn't match your map. So when your life is blessed, you may have challenges. For example, let's just say you broke your ankle. Well, you'll say, you know what? You know, let this be the worst of my troubles. My life is blessed. And maybe it's a sign I said should slow down. Your brain reforms and reconfigures meanings to fit my life is blessed versus the people, Angie, who say, for example, the people that say, well, I get, I think of a woman recently I met who said, I get sick all the time, all the time. So her brain, her reticular activating system filters out any reference to the time she's healthy. She could be walking around healthy and energetic. And the moment she coughs, she'll say, see, I get sick all the time. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And if you think you're going to fail, you're going to fail. If you think you're going to get sick, you probably will get sick because you're, you're just assuming you will. So you're not doing the things to prep your body to not get sick. All right, uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up. Give us some uh, parting words of wisdom, Gina. What do you want us to take away from this? Parting words, just take a moment and notice your maps. You know, we learn our maps from religion, school, friends, family. First, decide if they're right. Question them. Start to notice when you're judging or having a belief about your life. And second, know that your past doesn't equal your future unless you let it. You have a clean slate, a clear road. Decide what maps you need to have the life and the success you want. Design your maps. Well, Gina, I just... I want to tell you because you've been, you know, traveling, uh, you know, around the world speaking uh, how much I enjoy your segments, how much I enjoy you and just how you want us to be inspired and live a wonderful life. And you, uh, as I've mentioned before, I asked my kids because of you, what was your magical moment today? And now I further expanded it to uh, what was your rose or magical moment? And then what was your thorn of the day? And then we talk about the STEM, like what you're excited about in the future or what you're learning or how you're growing. So it's really uh, ended up being a, a lot of fun getting more connected with my kids' dreams. And thank you for inspiring me to do that. Thank you, Angie. Well, you're a joy and you do so much for others. So it's an honor to chat with you always, always, always. Thanks, friend. Your website? GinaClothes.com. And you can get a summary of all I teach there. G-I-N-A-K-L-O-E-S. You're the best. Thank you, friend. All right. Be well, my friend. Take care. Hi, it's Angie. Hey, do you have a lot of things around your house you want to get rid of? My husband wants me to get rid of anything and everything that is in his way. 303-238-JANE. I love ARC. They help people in our community. Every dollar you spend helps and everything you donate helps. 303-238-JANE. They bring a truck right to my house. I actually have them come every month or two and it is so helpful to get that place cleaned out because you know what? My husband's a lot nicer to me when I donate things and who better to donate to than ARC? 303-238-JANE and arcthrift.org for a location near you if you just want to drop a few things off and do a little shopping. arcthrift.org, shopping with a purpose. I love Arc. Angie Austin here along with Billy Hollowell, faithwire.com. Billy, one of your stories caught my eye. It says, no class, New York Times obituary criticizes faith leader. What? You know, this is interesting because the Mormon Church, you know, there's lots of debates about theology and um, within the Christian world in particular when it comes to the Mormon faith. It's interesting, though, when somebody dies, and, and this was Thomas Munson, he's the president, uh, he was the president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. 
He was the head. He passed away recently. When he died, though, the New York Times, they put out the obituary. Obviously, he's a well-known faith leader. And this is what they wrote. They wrote Thomas Munson. This is the tweet, by the way, promoting the story. Thomas Munson, the president of the Mormon Church, who rebuffed demands to ordain women as priests and refused to alter church opposition to same-sex marriage, died Tuesday at 90. And it, it was just one of those things when you read it and you think, if this were an evangelical or anybody else, if it were the Pope, you know, you wouldn't put something like that in there. But I guess we're at a place now culturally where it seems like the New York Times is sort of responding and saying, well, he refused to alter the church's opposition to same-sex marriage. So they, they made this strange decision to include that in the tweet promoting the story of his obituary. And, and I just I found that a little troubling. Yeah, I don't know that that's the appropriate place to have that kind of discussion or that much or that kind of information disseminated. I think it's hurtful to the people uh, that he loved. Well, and also the translation of this, when somebody dies, you know, of course, you're going to look back when there's somebody like that who's in charge of an entire church. Um, but yeah, it's it's sort of the language of refuse to alter. It's sort of translated to me as you know Thomas Munson, president of the Mormon Church, defended his church's you know theology. Um, that's what his church believes, and and that's what they have long believed. So it, it was it seemed a little bit strange to include it there. Now, if you were going to do it in the write up, that would be fine. If you were going to talk about the accomplishments or the things that were debated or discussed under that person. But I think the reaction to this is by a lot of people. We've covered it over at faithwire.com, but also seeing the reaction among a lot of people who aren't Mormons was that's a very strange. It seems like almost an agenda to put that in there in the tweet. Yeah, I would I would agree with you. Or right, you've got a story that I would say is uh, in more of the Faithwire good news genre, and this involves a fire, which doesn't sound like good news. But I guess the the interesting tweak on this is what survived the fire is kind of interesting. You know, we see these things a lot, and, and it's interesting. It, it was a Bible that survived this fire, and it was a duplex in Ruston, Louisiana, um, that burned down, horribly charred, horribly burned, and amid the debris was this unscathed Bible. And it was interesting because a neighbor um, who witnessed this whole entire thing, who lives nearby, I think she actually lives next door, um, she said that the Bible, seeing the Bible come out, actually brought her hope. You know, and she's obviously been in pain watching her neighbor lose everything, um, but it, but it left her some hope. And we see this happen a lot. And I know atheists will respond, well, then why did God, if God saved the Bible, why did he save the house? Um, and, and, you know, we can have those broader theological conversations, but it is interesting um, that the emotion that this woman, because we don't always get to sort of hear that part of it. How did people react to seeing a Bible make it out of that fire? and that it brought her hope. And so it, it does sort of make me think there's a light at the end of the tunnel many times, and, we're, and God sort of gives us things to help us get through what we've faced, to get through something difficult. Um, and so I, I love these stories, and we've done a bunch of them. We, there's actually been a number of fires and floods and, and whatnot um, that Bibles have survived, and sometimes the Bible's even open to a verse. In this case, it wasn't, but to a verse that either provides encouragement or that is sort of shocking in light of the event that the Bible was found in. Well, you mentioned you've done uh, several of these stories, and we've actually got a bit of that story, so let's take a listen. Uh, if this gentleman had been at home, he said he didn't have a smoke alarm, and it could have been a, a, a bigger uh, problem instead of that. But even through all of the flames, rubble, and heat, one thing remained intact. That was the Bible that the guy brought out. Which Thomas says gives her hope to never fear and stand strong. 
All right, Billy, I want to make sure people can continue to uh, follow you and uh, your good news stories. You definitely get us thinking on faithwire.com. I really appreciate you. Never a dull moment in your life at Faithwire, is there? <laughs> There's never, never a dull moment. Always something interesting going on in the faith and culture world, for sure. Love it. Thanks, Billy. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at angieaustinradio.com.